Well, yesterday I was uh, in our garage doing some wood projects, watching some college football. Anybody in here like to watch college football on Saturdays? A few of you. Um, you know, Illinois didn't play yesterday, so we were spared the potential heartbreak. So that's always a good uh, Saturday there. Uh, but one of the games I was watching was uh, the Appalachia State game in which they won on a last-second 54-yard Hail Mary. It was an incredible thing. And the announcer is hilarious because they're, they've got 50-something yards to go. And he's very somber, like, this is it. You know, how many times does a Hail Mary work? And, uh, and then it, like, they pull it off. The ball doesn't even get to the end zone. It gets tipped. The guy grabs it, runs it. In, and the announcer just starts freaking out. Ah, ah, they did, ah! It's just like, just did not see it coming. So then they cut to the, the college game day crew. And they're like, well, well what, like, how do you, what's the, the success of a Hail Mary? And they said, well, that's why they call it a Hail Mary. There really isn't much success to it. And he said, though, uh, one of the guys said, it's um, interesting. He said, there's actually people that their job is not to try to catch the ball. Their job is to tip it up into the air so somebody else can. And I found that interesting because uh, no matter how big or small someone's role is, every role is important. And the same thing goes for the church, a lot of sports organizations, that idea that knowing your role and playing your part can go a long way. Now, there are some people who, uh, who have a unique and flexible skill set. Let me give you another sports example this morning. This is a, a, a Major League Baseball player by the name of Pat Vendetti, who is a switch pitcher. He's the only one in MLB history to be able to throw with both his right and his left arm. Uh, I always remember, like, if you, I, we always told people, if, if you want to throw like a girl, just throw with your other hand type of deal. No offense, ladies. There, but he has this, like, glove so he can use it in both hands. And there's this, uh, there's actually this clip from when he was in college in which he was actually up against a switch hitter. And so he's there getting ready to throw right-handed, and the batter switches, so he takes his glove off, switches around, and they go back and forth, like, seven times until the umpire's like, okay, just pick a side, people, and let's move on with our lives. Some people, they have the responsibility in leadership to see the bigger picture as everyone else is kind of getting caught in the weeds. Uh, the CEO and the founder of uh, Chick-fil-A was a man by the name of Truett Cathy. Here's a picture of Truett with his brilliant marketing with the cow, eat more chicken. And there was this board meeting that he goes back to say solidified the future and the direction of Chick-fil-A. As they were kind of growing, but not at the rate as these other chains were, uh, all the board for two hours argued back and forth, well, here's how we get more locations and here's how we can be more efficient and on and on and on. He didn't say a single word. Keep in mind, this is the founder of the entire company. And then he finally bangs his hand on the table and says this one simple line in which he said, if we get better, our customers will demand we get bigger. See, some people have that responsibility and leadership to see the larger picture. Some people, though, sometimes maybe you feel like your role or, or the thing or the talent that you have is small and insignificant. Let me give you an example here. Let me show you a picture. Does anybody know what this is? Hint, it's a, it's a car, a thing that's on your car. Anybody, if you know what it is, just yell it out. Anybody? Solenoid. Okay, good. This is a solenoid. And this is actually about maybe 10 times the size of what a solenoid actually is. It's about the size of like a, a sippy cup on most vehicles. Now, in order for your car to start, you've got to have the battery, you've got to have gas, you've got to have all the things. But this is the doohickey, as best as I know how it works, is that connects the two. You stick your key to, into the ignition and turn it, or if you're really bougie, you press that button, 
And if your solenoid isn't working, your car won't start. You could have, uh, your tank could be full, the battery could be brand new, everything else could be ready to go. But if this small part is missing, you can't even start your car. So just because something is small doesn't mean it's insignificant to making the whole thing work. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 18 this morning. And I want to continue on this idea of all of the roles coming together to play their part. You see, in Acts chapter 17, we could outline it to say, you know, in Acts chapter 17, it was really about the, the, the gospel mission of how do we go into the world sharing our faith with people, with people who don't know, people who are desperate for truth and meaning. Yeah, as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a good plan until they get punched in the face. And in some ways, Acts chapter 18 represents what happens when you get punched in the face. What happens when nothing goes according to plan? Because up until this point in Acts chapter 17, the plan has been simple, but it's never gone according to. Paul goes to a new city. He goes to the Jews. He goes to the synagogue. He talks to them, preaches them. He's supposed to tell them about Jesus being the Yeshua Messiah. They believe. And then they welcome everyone in. And then they're all one big happy family. And then he goes on to the next city. But that's never what happens. Paul goes to a city, and one time he's thrown out. Another time he's made fun of. Another time he's mocked. Another time they receive the message only to recount and turn back around a few days or weeks later. What happens, or how do we go about this mission of sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, especially when we don't know if it's going according to plan? Paul's going to leave the city of Athens in chapter 18. He's going to go first to the city of Corinth, where he kind of makes home base. And it's become an influential church in chapter, or, uh, later on throughout Scripture. You see, in Athens, where they pursued gods and intellect, truth, and religion, in Corinth, it was kind of the exact opposite. In Corinth, they pursued sensual pleasures, Everything was about hedonism, about what you could get in your life to to feel good. Where you might say, Athens, that's where the thinkers, the intellect were. Corinth, you could say, that's the blue-collar crowd who were just chasing after whatever felt right in the moment. He'll leave Corinth. He'll go to a city called Ephesus. In Corinth, he meets a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. He'll go to Ephesus, leave them, travel around, and eventually will get introduced to this man named Apollos. Now, normally in our preaching, what I like to do is say, here's our text for today. Let's read through it. Let me kind of unpack it for us, and then let's apply it. But today, I want to do something a little bit different, because there's a lot that happens in Acts chapter 18. I want to give us six thoughts or six ideas of how does the message of Jesus actually move? Like, how does the gospel message actually go from in here to in here to to in here and out to the rest of the world? And more importantly, what is your and I's role in this whole thing together? So number one, the first thought is this, is that there is one message for everyone. One message for everyone. Acts chapter 18 Verses 4 and 11 says this. It says, so every Sabbath, he, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. If you skip to verse 11, it says, so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, 18 months, teaching them, being the general public, about the word of God. The first thing is that there is one message for everyone. Now, Paul is known for saying, I have become all things to all men so that I might win some. But what he never does is say, okay, well, to the Jews, I'm only going to talk about this part of Jesus. 
And to the Gentiles over here, I'll talk to you about these things. He always gives the gospel message in its entirety to everyone. Jews, Gentiles, the general public of Corinth at large, they're all getting the same message. That's because it is not altered for anyone. Past, present, future, the gospel is the same. Now, you ever get tired of something? Uh, like, like we have two young kids at home and we have this conversation and it seems like every single week where it's like, dad, what's for dinner? Mac and cheese. Uh-huh, I'm sick of mac and cheese. Fine, shells and cheese. Yay! You know, for whatever reason, that's different to them. You ever been there before where you're just tired of hearing the same thing over and over again, eating the same thing over and over again? I just want something new. I just want something different. I want a change of pace. Now, it's interesting, though, that there was a man, a scholar, theologian by the name of Eugene Peterson. If you ever read the message translation, it's more of a paraphrase of Scripture. He, he, he was a pastor. He was a scholar for, for decades upon decades. And he recently died a few years ago, to which his son said this in the eulogy. He said, I always like to joke with my dad saying that he had one sermon. I used to joke with him telling him that for 30 years, you fooled them. Despite decades of creatively sharing the Bible with people in new ways, you made them think that you were saying something new. And then he reveals it. He says, Dad had one message. Every week for 30 years, the message was this, that God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 24, which Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It would be no greater privilege and honor for me to to pastor for their 30, 40 years and to never get tired of preaching that message. Christ crucified. That there is a world that is broken, a world that is falling apart, a world that is no longer operating the way that God intended it to be. And so God in his great love and his power and his sovereignty sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. He took on that weight and that penalty so that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that life is not one that's just set aside waiting for you, but that is a life that begins here and now. My prayer is that I never get tired of preaching that gospel message. And my prayer for us and here in this church is that we never get tired of hearing that message. That you never get tired of worshiping because of that message, of serving, of giving, of being transformed because of that message. But it goes back, there is one message and one message only. And that is that Jesus Christ in his love has given you new life. The second thing that we see in Acts chapter 18, is that most messengers are not paid ministers. That most messengers in the world are not paid pastors, staff ministers, so to speak. 
You know, there's sometimes this unspoken thing that people think that it's my job and my job only to reach people for Jesus. Sometimes there's this unspoken thought. Well, the, Eric, as you, as you are paid, you're the professional, so we're going to bring people to you. We let you do the heavy lifting, and we'll just kind of then get to, to, to ride on your coattails. And I would first and foremost say, I don't have big coattails, if any at all, so good luck doing that. But second of all is that, no, my job is the same as yours, is to know and love the word of God and to share it with other people so that they may be redeemed. That's why Paul, uh, we learn about Paul and some of his uh, closest companions in the beginning of Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. You notice what it says. Because he was a pastor and they liked Jesus, they got along. So no, no, because he was a tent maker as they were, they worked. Now, Paul went into tent making because it was one of his trades. And it would have been a very, very uh, uh, difficult trade to get in because leather working was expensive. And so it would have been common for Paul when he goes to a new city to go to the other tent makers and he would kind of show his skill and so they would welcome him into their guild. Because there would have been no easier way for him to get written off than if he made a really bad tent. Because people would be like, this is expensive. I'm just going to go get me a real tent. This guy Paul does no idea what he's doing. But instead, he is a tent maker who makes tents to supplement his ministry. And he even tells us in scripture that's not because he's not getting paid through ministry, but it's because he does not want to have to rely on it. Now here's the thing. Is that is in some ways very similar to how we function as a church. And what I mean by that is this. Is that the amount of people every single week who volunteer, who work in the marketplace to help us be a congregation is amazing. Like, let me just a crowd poll this morning. If you would, sitting here in your seat, just raise your hand if at any point in, the, in, in, in an average month you serve our church in some capacity. Just, just raise your hand, okay? Everybody's, you know, hold, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah. we're supposed to be humble, right? No, 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 hold your hand up. Do, do me a favor, hold your hand up. Now everybody just take a look around the room, okay? There's a lot of hands up. That doesn't count for like the 30 people in the back corralling all the minions who are freaking out over goldfish and broken crayons, okay? Majority of people who are messengers in the gospel are not paid ministers, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I tell our staff this all the time. Our job is not to do the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip to help you identify your passions, your time, your talents, in order to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. And Paul was a pastor who was probably known for the quality of his work because he wouldn't have been able to go from city to city if he made basic tents. Now, it doesn't mean he was probably sewing a cross on the side for people to know that he was a Christian or, or stamping an ichthus, but like, yeah, this is, that's Paul's tent that he probably sought to worship God through the quality and the excellence of his work in the marketplace. As he would write to the church in Colossae, 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And that especially means for those of us who are not paid ministers, that the message can most certainly work its way through you. Number three is that the message must go forth no matter what. And that no matter what is key. Acts chapter 18, verses 5 and 6, and then 9 and 10. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse 9 says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, probably when he was on the verge of quitting and throwing in the towel. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Sometimes the opposition to the message of Jesus is external. Now, we are blessed to live in a country, in a nation where we can do this publicly. You can post publicly, you can share publicly without ever having the threat of some sort of retribution outside of maybe some strange relationships or or some names getting thrown your way. But if I'm Paul at this point, I want a different playbook. I'm saying, God, why do we keep doing this? Every time you send me to a new city and I go talk to the Jews and they don't like me and sometimes they make fun of me and sometimes they call me names and then last time they got really abusive and they hurt my feelings, why can't I just go to the people who want to hear my message? Why can't I just do what's easy and what is comfortable? Why do I have to take the message forth? And that's because... It's very difficult sometimes to do what is right versus what is easy. Paul will write to the church in Galatia, chapter 6, verse 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The message must go forth no matter what. And the message goes forth because the message is good, not because everything's going good. I think for a lot of us, it's easy to be on board with Jesus or the gospel when everything in life seems to be going well, but what when things are not going good? Does the message still go forth? Sometimes the opposition is external, but other times the opposition is very much internal. Our own hearts are prideful and they get in the way sometimes. One of the things I've always tried to do while in ministry has been to have a group of of men, of of young guys that that I've been discipling. I always try to cycle through uh, two or three at a time and then we do it for six, 12, 19, 18 months and then move on. When when we first moved to Urbana, my wife and I started meeting with with, uh, three uh, young adult men. Uh, None of them were married at the time and we met for about a year and a half with pretty uh, good regularity. And let me just tell you about, there was three prayer requests for each of these guys, uh, one for each. Number one, 
one of the guys had been going to church for a long time, had never been baptized. That was my prayer for him. The other guy was seriously dating a girl. I was like, man, you guys would make a great couple. Uh, maybe at some point, you know, you guys would get married. I'd just love to be in that way. And then the other guy uh, was one who was like, this guy just seems like he needs to be in ministry. He's kind of got that, uh, that, that, that vibe about him. And so for literally about 18 months, on a weekly basis, we would meet together. We would study scripture. We would pray. We would encourage one another, hold each other accountable. And then uh, they all basically in like a one-week phase uh, all moved away. They, they, two of them got jobs. Another one moved home. And so, so I'm sitting there after spending almost two years with these guys, and two weeks goes by, and I pick up the phone, and it's the first guy. He says, hey, Eric, how's it going? I was like, man, it's great to hear from you what's going on. He says, I just want to let you know I'm getting baptized this Sunday. And I was like, you're, what, now? After two years of this together, you're getting baptized? And I was like, okay, man, that's, that's so great. So happy for you. Cool, cool. He's like, yeah, I just thought you, you'd want to know. And so I just want to share with you. Great. So I hang up the phone. <laughs> Delete. No, just kidding. Admittedly, there's not. Next guy calls. Two weeks later, kid you not. He goes, hey, I uh, just want you to know, like, uh, I popped the question. We're getting married, and we're actually going to get married in, like, three months. Now, I'm just going to say something. As a pastor, sometimes when people tell you they're getting married, you're like, is there a question coming? Is this, like, a request? Or what are you just, what's going on here? And so I was just kind of waiting. And, and so and so I was like, oh, that's, I'm so happy for you guys. You guys are going to make a great couple. You both love Jesus. It's going to be amazing. And, uh, and I, so I said, I said, so cool. Like, so when's the wedding? And he's like, you know, it's like three months from now. I'm like, okay, cool. Anything else? And he was like, nope. And he hung up the phone. No, like, do you want to come? Just like I thought you'd want to know. Two weeks later, the other guy calls. Hey, Eric, uh, I've been thinking and just want you to know that uh, I've decided to apply for seminary. Can you write me a letter of recommendation? And I said, absolutely. So I got out my, my, my computer and I typed a dear search committee or, or entrance committee. Uh, this is a great guy. He takes about two years to make decisions, but just, you know, he's, he's as good as they come. Sometimes the opposition is our own heart. It's our own pride that gets in the way. I've done all the heavy lifting. Why does someone get to reap the rewards, even the spiritual rewards of my hard work? That's pride getting in the way. That's our hearts making it about us and not about Jesus. Sometimes people ask me, Eric, what's the most important verse to you in Scripture? It's John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, the guy who who has been set aside to prepare the way for Jesus. When he was a baby and and his mom got close to Mary, he jumped in the womb because he knew he was in the presence of the Savior. The guy who baptized hundreds if not thousands of people had an entire movement. And he says this. He must become greater. I must become less. He must increase I must decrease. Sometimes the opposition to the gospel being going through our lives is our own hearts getting in the way. It's seeking to not be generous with our time, talent, and treasures. Maybe we get prideful. Well, I've worked just as hard. How come they seem to get off uh, over there? How come they seem to not really care as much as I do? I've gotten nothing in return. But the key is to remember that it must go forth no matter what. Point number four is that there is one message and many messengers. That every messenger, and you are a messenger if you are a disciple of Jesus, and you have a voice, 
And that maybe not be like a, a actual physical voice. Maybe you don't have the gift of, of preaching or you haven't been gifted uh, to sing, but you have a voice. You have a manner in which you can share the gospel with others. And it's a beautiful thing. Acts chapter 18, 18 to 19, and then 23 through 26. It says, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed... He had his hair cut off at Chentry because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Skip with me to verse 23. It says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set, set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples, a.k.a. there were churches and leaders already set up doing work there. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, where Paul didn't have a whole lot of success. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You notice in this short collection of verses, there's no shortage of maybe a, half, a couple dozen people working together to move the message of Christ forward. Paul goes to Ephesus, doesn't have a lot of success, leaves Priscilla and Aquila, will eventually take his counterpart Timothy and leave him there. He goes to some various regions where there's other people doing great work, and then this man by the name of Apollos comes out of nowhere who has this gift, this talent. He's, he's kind of like a magnet. And what I want to say to you is that your voice matters. And it's important for you to use your voice and to hear other voices. You know, one of the things we do here uh, at our church is we don't have one person preach all the time. And that's a good thing. Uh, a couple months ago, my wife and I, we were coming back from a vacation. And I don't get to go to, like, just go to church often and not have anything to do. For whatever reason, they're like, uh, you're here, you got to be doing the thing and whatnot. And so uh, I set up so I didn't have to, anything to do. And so I, I walked in and I was just kind of greeting people, kind of like incognito, you know. And I met this woman and it was her second Sunday here. So I'd been gone a couple weeks and it's her second Sunday here. And I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And I'm just playing dumb. I'm like, oh, are you, are you, do you go to church here? And she was like, no, this is my second Sunday. And I said, oh, okay, cool. She goes, do you know who's preaching today? And I said, uh, no, I have no idea. And she said, okay, um, well, like, 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 I don't know who's preaching. The music's amazing. And I don't really care who's preaching as long as it was the person who preached last week. And I was like, thanks, Olivia. Like, this feels really good. But I thought that was so important. Because this church nor any church should ever be about one person's gift and talent. Every church should seek to have many messengers taking the message forward. What is that message we're all called to share together? Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 14, uh, verse 10, uh, 15. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We would consider ourselves what we might hear sometimes say is we are a great commission church. What that means is that if you call First Christian Church your church home, then we believe that you have some sort of ministry that you need to partake in. Your voice matters, and whether that be an audible voice or a different form of that voice, every single ministry we do seeks to uplift the mission of Jesus. But on our own, it can't get very loud or vibrant. Like if you go to, you go to a sporting event, and, and, and you are shouting at the top of your lungs by yourself, you look like an absolute fool. But if your team scores a touchdown or they hit a home run or, or they, 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 they make a basket with a few seconds remaining and everyone begins to cheer together, it gets super loud, almost deafening loud. But if you were to go back to that stadium the next day all by yourself and try to replicate that loudness, you could not. So you might say, Eric, what good does one voice do by itself? Some, but not much. But what does one voice do in a crowd of every voice cheering together? Collectively, it makes the message clear. Two more things. Number five is that there is more than one way to support the message. There's one way to support the message of Jesus. Back to verse 26 to the end of the chapter. It says, so he, being Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help. He wasn't the source. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. There are many ways to support the message. And we do, throughout the series, we've done these scripture memory verse cards. And we have a new one that we encourage you to grab on your way out. Where you picked up communion, you can grab this. And it's that verse, chapter 18, verse 26. He says, because he began to speak, but it speaks to the idea is that they did it together. That they came together to share in the message of Jesus. Grab one of these on your way out. Memorize scripture with us as a church. You see, Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't stand up and hurl insults. They didn't stand up and make a public rebuke. They simply said, this man has a gift. This man has a talent. God is clearly doing something in him, so let us come alongside to encourage him. Let us come alongside to lift him up. Let us then send him out in a manner in which he knows that he is supported. It was a sign of growth and spiritual maturity that they were able and willing to learn from one another. Now, we don't know if, if Apollos would or would not have gone to that next city if it hadn't been for the encouragement, but I can tell you this is that it would have been a really good pep in his step, knowing that the others in that church already had his back. Every ministry requires two things. It requires a message, and it requires messengers. And now there's ministry that can happen outside the church walls. In fact, a lot of ministry, a lot of amazing ministry happens outside our church walls. 
But right now, uh, this week, uh, we, it's the second week of our serve fair. And the reason we put this together is to provide an opportunity for anyone who calls this church home to take that step of faith. And let me give you an example of how the many messengers come together. Did you know that if someone is visiting our church for the first time, they will make a decision on if they will return or not in the first seven minutes? That's it. Seven minutes. So by the time they pull into the parking lot and park and and get out and walk in, well, there's like two minutes down. By the time they navigate the building, maybe stop off at the bathroom, check their kids in, I mean, that could take like 45 minutes. Like, I mean, it's just crazy back there sometimes. Like, seven minutes is all it takes. So that means before a single chord is heard, before any words that come out of my mouth or who's ever preaching for the day, most people have made the decision on whether or not they will come through our doors again. So that's why when I go up to our guest services team and tell them, you guys are making the biggest difference in our church. And they said, yeah, try not to screw it up this week, okay? That'd be great, you know? Because it's true. Because people want to feel known. They want to feel welcome. They want this place to be warm. That's the difference that makes. No matter how small it might seem, no matter how, how little that voice may be, together it plays a part. You know, last week someone asked me, why do we have coffee and donuts? It's not a very spiritual thing to do. To which I said to the person, I said, well, you know, um, well, yeah, coffee may not make you more spiritual, but if you don't have your coffee, you're probably less spiritual for that Sunday. I said, though, realistically, it's our way of providing hospitality to say, we're glad you're here. We're expecting you. We're glad that you've chosen to get up maybe a little early than you normally would to spend time with us and hopefully worshiping God. That's because together our voices make a difference for the message of Jesus Christ. Here's the last point, point number six, is that our message is only powered by the Spirit of God. Chapter 18, verse 21. I love this verse. It says, but as he left, he promised, I will come back. He's talking to the people in Ephesus. If it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the expectation to be a witness. You are not expected to convert people. That is Jesus' job. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. But this simple verse from Paul to me is powerful. If it is God's will, I will return. And what it says to me is that he not only knew how to hear God's will, he not only knows how to identify God's will, he not only knows how to walk with God and discern whether it's his will or the world's will or God's will, but he is walking close enough that if he hears God's will, he will be obedient to follow it. And that is my hope, my vision, my dream, my prayer for myself. That is my hope, vision, dream, and prayer for you and for our entire church. It's not that we become the flashiest church or the hippest church or the coolest church. Rather, I expect people to be drawn to this church because of our faithfulness and our obedience to Jesus. Because it's the Spirit of God that is our power. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
But may we never forget it's the Spirit of God who does the work, and we get to play a part. I want to conclude the message this morning by reading the parable of the sower, the parable of the good soil, whatever it is that your translation might say. It's in Matthew chapter 13, but instead of putting that on the screen to have you read along, what I ask for you to do is just listen. If you want to close your eyes and listen to these words, if you want to visualize this parable as Jesus teaches, I encourage you, though, to hear these words as our exhortation as a body of believers. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, That day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many sayings and parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. But still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they fall away quickly. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times pray with me this morning as we continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your word, how it is a a lamp unto our path. Lord, continue to do amazing things in this church by the power of your spirit. Transform hearts and minds. Transform families and homes with the unintelligible form of love and grace and humility and compassion for one another. Lord, may make First Christian Church a church of good soil, that anyone who hears the message of your truth, that one message for all people, have roots that grow deep into your love, into your goodness, May we be pastors, husbands, fathers, mothers, wives, co-workers, neighbors. Of good soil. 
that the fruit we bear is a testament to your message. In your name that we pray.